So we've been talking for some time about, um, about the opportunity to maximize our gifts, talents, and resources individually as individuals in making disciples. We've been talking about maximizing our gifts, talents, and resources in order that we might be able to multiply as an organization, as a church. And the, the first step in that is not just to talk about it. Well, that's important. But the, the, the next step in that journey is to find someone who will actually lead the venture, who will, who will be, go out and say, we feel God's call on our life in order that we may be able to go and plant a church, in order that we might be able to multiply the impact for the kingdom of God. And this morning, we have uh, a couple, who a family, who's been here all week. We've been having an opportunity to spend time with them. And this morning, we have the opportunity to hear Todd uh, wrote and open up the word of God. He has come in order that he might be able to say, we believe God is calling us to go plant a church. And we believe with Revive and the Grove Church that these are the people who will be sending us. So it's a great privilege for us to be able to have Todd open the word of God. Will you please give him a Grove Church welcome? Well, good morning. Uh, that was weak. <laughs> Let's try that again. Good morning. There, there we go. There we go. Uh, it, is, it is a privilege and a pleasure for uh, my family to be here. Uh, my kiddos are dispersed somewhere around here. I'm sure being well taken care of. Uh, my wife is, is sitting right over here. Uh, so uh, we would love to chat with you after, uh, after church, after the service. Uh, we do feel... God's call on our lives uh, to, to come here and to, uh, to do this. I've, I've been connecting with Mark and John for the last number of months, uh, and the Lord just continues to show us, like, this, th this is what he has for us. Uh, so, so we're very excited. I'm very excited to be here this morning. Uh, I don't take lightly uh, what, I, what I get to do. I don't take lightly the fact that, that John is, is sitting down this morning, and so I'm, I'm grateful for the privilege to be able to open God's word uh, with you this morning. Uh, we're going to kind of be all over the place. I don't have one text that we're going to hop through, um, but uh, I, I want to speak this morning about this idea of restoration, and I want to start with a story um, that's probably going to make me cry, so, uh, so bear with me. Uh, May 16th of this past year, I missed a phone call from a friend of mine named Joe. Uh, Joe is, uh, he, he's, he's, He's in the next season of life that it, ahead of us, uh, of my wife and I, and, and he and his wife are, are dear friends of, of ours, uh, mentors even, uh, that we have just kind of been able to, to kind of watch. Uh, their kids are, are a little older than ours. They're, both their girls are in college, and, and they're great girls. They, they love Jesus, and they're attempting to do life. And, and so we're just kind of watching this family. Uh, we spend time with them, have dinner with them, uh, just doing life. And so I, I missed a phone call from Joe, uh, which, which wasn't a huge deal because Joe and I talk from time to time, and, uh, but he left me a voicemail, and so I, I checked the voicemail, and I, as I listened to his message, there was a, uh, there was a shaking in his voice. Uh, people have described Joe as presidential. Uh, he is. He's a big guy. Uh, he's a guy, he, when he comes into our, our church services, he's a hand raiser. And when he raises his hands, I kind of feel like they just about touch the, the, the floor of heaven. Um, he's this big, powerful presence. And there was this shaking, this quiver in his voice that I'd never heard before. 
uh, and instantly my heart rate elevated, my palms started sweating, and I was like, There's, this is not good, there's something wrong. And he left me a brief message telling me that his oldest daughter, Mackenzie, uh, who was on a choir tour with Azusa Pacific University, which is a, a, a Christian school in Southern California, they were on a choir tour up in Canada and the Washington State area, um, they got a phone call saying that her brain was swelling. And he and his wife, Brenda, were driving from, from Idaho Falls, which is where we currently live. Uh, it's in the southeast part of Idaho. They were driving from there up to Seattle. Uh, they had no idea what to expect when they got there. I, I think they weren't even sure if she was still going to be alive when they got there. Uh, and I, I called Joe back, and it was one of those things I was like, hey, Joe. And he's like, hey, Todd. You know, it's like, what do you say? Uh, and so he kind of gave me the, the, a few more details, and I prayed for him, and, and they, they just, they booked it up to Seattle. Uh, when they got there, they, they had to sign off immediately on their daughter, uh, on Mackenzie, getting a, a I got to make sure I get this right, a craniectomy. Uh, doctors had to remove the right side of her skull so her brain would have room to continue to swell uh, without, uh, without harming itself. Uh, after that surgery, she, she was out. Uh, she was unconscious for a significant amount of time. After, after a couple of weeks of uncertainty, she, she was diagnosed with, uh, hang with me here, some big words, acute hemorrhagic leukoencephalitis. Uh, it is a rare disease that seven out of 10 people who get it die within the first six days. Uh, I, believe, I believe it was only the Lord's moving in this one surgeon to say, uh, we need to do this craniectomy, and we need to do it now. They bumped some people out of, out of the way so she could get in there. Well, it was the same surgeon that came to her parents uh, after the surgery, and he kind of walked through, this is what happened, and, and it was a successful surgery. And they, they looked at her, uh, the, uh, the, the surgeon looked at her parents and said, uh, you'll, never, you'll never have your daughter back. If she lives through this, she, uh, he said, she will, never, she will never be pristine again. She will not have a pristine recovery. She will not be restored to who she was before this whole deal started. Well, that's just like asking God to show up. Uh, I am, am beyond thrilled to tell you that Mackenzie has been completely restored. Uh, yeah, she, uh, <clears throat> she, she, she came home, she spent 80 days in the hospital up in Seattle. Uh, they, they brought her home as soon as they released her. They got in the car and they drove straight through to come back home. Uh, she took a, a, a semester, the fall semester off of school uh, in this last, uh, in January, just a couple months ago. She drove with her younger sister down to uh, Azusa, California, and started school again and is, is doing so well. Uh, she defied all odds. She defied a medical diagnosis because of the restoring power of Jesus. As I think about her story, it's pretty significant. Like, it's, it's literally life and death. 
But I think about, about her being restored to who she is now. Now she's laughing and giggling. She's got this, this, this fun little giggle that I just love. I love to tell her jokes to get going because it just, I just, it makes me laugh, right? And, and, and she's got that going again. She's a singer. She's got a beautiful voice and she's singing again. She's restored. Isn't that what we want? Don't, and not, not just for Mackenzie, like hopefully we, we all want that for Mackenzie, but isn't that what we want for ourselves? Isn't that even our greatest need to, to be restored? We might not have a, a, a significant medical diagnosis placed against us, but can't we tell even as we just go through our daily lives, that, that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be? Did you get out of bed this morning and were you a little sore? Your back hurt like you got to kind of stand up and stretch and, you know, maybe you, you're not, probably not supposed to do it, but you do like this thing and you turn and, and you pop and it just feels so good. Like you don't tell your doctor you do it, but you do it and ah, it's just, you just kind of working the kinks out. I, I got this little cough that I've had for a couple of weeks and I've taken a bunch of drugs to try to get rid of, right? We, we have these, these things ailing us. We recognize that, that life is not the way that, that it could be or that it should be. We have a, long, a longing and a groaning for the way things should be. We desire to be restored. To restore, it means to bring back to a former or original condition. A long time ago, things were good. Way back in the first few pages of your Bible, right? Things were the way that God had, had intended them to be. But if you've been to Sunday school, you know that it didn't last that long. God set the earth into motion. He throws in some water and some stars and the sun and the animals and, and Adam and Eve, and he says, guys, this place is yours. Take care of it. And he sits back and remember what he says? It's good. It's, it's, it's very good. It's creation. The way he designed it. The way it was intended to be. But it didn't stay that way very long. You see, Satan came in and he tempts Eve and, and the rest is, is history. It says in Genesis chapter 3 verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. From that point on, all of creation begins to suffer under the weight of sin. Adam and Eve are removed from the presence of God. Death, both physical and spiritual, reigns. Everything changed. Things were broken and in desperate need of restoration. And if you continue to read the rest of the pages of the Old Testament, it, it seems, it, it does a lot of things for us. And one of the things that it does is it shines a giant spotlight on mankind's need to be restored. It's a reflection of you and I. Well, if we fast forward to the New Testament and, and we hop into the Gospel of Luke, we have Jesus talking to Zacchaeus, the wee little man. And Jesus says to Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Jesus came to make things the way they were created to be. Jesus came to accomplish the work of the greatest restoration project ever. You thought Chip and Jojo did a good job? Jesus does better. And Chip and Jojo do a good job, if you know who they are. Jesus came to accomplish this work. John said it in, in, in communion. We couldn't do it. And so Jesus did it for us. And what I want to look at this morning here in these next few minutes is, is some things. And there's a lot. This list that, that we're going to go through now, it's just four things. It's not an exhaustive list. But things that because Jesus came, because Jesus did this work, things that he restored. And I think the greatest, one of the greatest things that Jesus restored in his coming is this, our passion for Christ and his gospel. You see, from that moment in the Garden of Eden when everything seemingly fell apart, the people of God have been longing for and, and looking for the, the one of, of whom God said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Imagine having never read the Bible before and you start at page one. You go Genesis one, that sounds really good. Things are looking great. Genesis two, good. You get to Genesis three. Oh man, what is, what is going on? And then you, you come upon Genesis 3.15. This is the first gospel message in the Bible. A declaration of one who is going to come and restore. And so, so you, you, you read that and you see that and maybe you begin to, to continue on through your Bible and you get, to, you get to Noah and you go, maybe it's Noah. Oh, no, I guess it's not Noah. And, and you go on and you see these patriarchs of the faith and you wonder, is it, is it him? Is it him? You're left longing for and looking for this one who is going to restore that which is broken. God's people were waiting for the one who is going to crush the enemy. If you saw the Passion of the Christ, uh, there's a scene in the beginning of the movie, and, and I love it. And it, it, it unfortunately, it, it didn't happen actually in the Bible, but it's that scene where Jesus is praying in the garden. You remember this? If you saw it, he's praying in the garden, and he gets up. I, I went and saw the movie all by myself, and I'm, I'm sitting kind of in the back, back row because I'm cool like that, and, 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 and I'm watching Jesus pray, and he gets up, and you remember what he does? He stomps on the snake, and I, I was sitting there. I was like, yeah, like that's Jesus. He came to crush the enemy, and today we no longer wait. We no longer read our Bible and scratch our head and go, I, where is he? We know that it is Jesus. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to look. And like we just read in Luke chapter 19, we know that he has come to find, to seek, and to save people. Why? Because we're lost. He has come to do that because, because of who he is and because of what he has done. He has restored our hope and our passion for this gospel. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul, in, in glorious fashion, he says this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation 
to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You see, we should have a restored passion for the gospel because of what Paul said right there. We could do a whole sermon on Romans chapter 1, verse 16, but, but just for our purposes this morning, very quickly, Paul gives us two things about the gospel. He says, first and foremost, it is powerful. It is, it, it is powerful. You see, guys, the gospel, it's not this little mamby-pamby kind of wimpy, like, oh, that's precious. The gospel is powerful. The Greek word that Paul uses there is the word dunamis, and it's where we get our English word dynamite. And I've watched enough action-adventure Jason Bourne movies. I've watched 24 multiple times to know that if you need something to take care of a job, it is dynamite. I've never personally handled it myself, rest at ease, but... I know when the good guys want to get the bad guys, they use dynamite. Why? Because it is explosive. It is powerful. Paul says the gospel is this explosive energy. And then he he goes on and he says not only is it this this dynamite uh, of power, he says it is God's power. The gospel, (coughs) excuse me. The gospel is God's saving message. The gospel, (coughs) I told you, the gospel is, is God restoring that which the enemy has snatched away. The gospel is, is God reaching down into our pits that we were in. And he reaches down and he, he climbs into it and he grabs us and he throws us over his shoulder and he takes us out. And Colossians says he sets us down in the kingdom of his son. That is why our, our, our hope and our passion for the gospel should be restored. Because it is God's power. It is not mine. It is not yours. It is God's power. <coughs> Because Jesus has come, we should have a restored passion for the gospel. Because Jesus has come, we, we, we have a reason, and a proper reason, and a proper desire to serve. The gospel gives that to us. Without the gospel, I don't think we have anything good in and of ourselves to do good things with. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, <clears throat> Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Paul has just come from from talking about this idea at the end of chapter 1. Remember his, his famous, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's talking about living out the gospel. And then what he goes into is this idea of of we serve one another. Thank you, Jeff. We we serve one another because of this gospel that Paul says I'm, I'm living out of. He says, guys, serve each other. But the thought doesn't stop there. We don't get to the end of... Uh, of, of verse 4, and Paul says, let's close in prayer. 
If you know Philippians chapter 2 at all, you know it goes into this beautiful, this glorious text. Verses 5 through 11. He tells us we should serve one another. We should have a restored passion for and reason for serving each other. Because he, he says, I should have turned there while I was talking, my apologies. He says, have this attitude, in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says, you should be this way because this is what Jesus has done for you. And he goes on and he lays out how Jesus regarded us, you and me. The Son of God looked at us and regarded us, Paul says there, as, as more important than himself. The King of Kings, the Alpha and the Omega, put me above him. It says that he served us by emptying himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the example that Jesus gave us of what it is to serve. Jesus hopefully has, he has, the, the hopeful part is on us that we respond. He has restored our reason and our desire to serve. We can now serve others with pure motives. The gospel, excuse me, the gospel gives us a reason outside of ourselves to serve. The gospel is what, what, uh, what gives people reason to, to make coffee and serve you coffee this morning. The gospel is why there are, are adults who are sitting with junior high students this morning. The gospel, I told your elders on, on Thursday night, I think it was when we got together, I said the gospel is the reason they're elders. The gospel is what gives them a, a, a passion and a desire to serve. Hopefully you're involved in some sort of ministry here at the Grove, and it's because of the gospel. The gospel is why I would say to my family, why my wife and I have set our kids down, we've said, guys, guess what, we're moving to Minnesota. The gospel is what makes us say, yeah, we need to plant a church up the 94 because there are people up there who need to hear about Jesus. There are people who have heard about Jesus who need to be reminded of his gospel. The gospel is maybe, not maybe, the gospel is what might be calling you to join us up at, I'm going to give it away, up at Restore Church up the 94. The gospel is why you are your, your kid's uh, room mom or room dad at school. The gospel is why you coach your kid's athletic team. It's not to win the championship, it's to win souls. Jesus has come to restore our passion for the gospel, he has come to give us a reason and a desire to serve. He has come to restore our joy in living. Doesn't it seem like 
it's becoming more and more difficult to find that joy. Whatever your news source is, it's, it, it's probably a little depressing. Things seem to be continually falling apart, and we live in a world that, 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 is, that, that is unhappy and that seems to be void of joy. Uh, in Jerry Bridges' book, The Fruitful Life, which I would highly recommend, great book, you should read it, Bridges defines joy this way. He says, joy is the exhilaration of the heart that comes from being right with God. I love that. Because you know what he just said, joy is not contingent upon? Joy, my joy is not contingent upon all four of my children uh, being happy before they leave for school. My, my joy is not contingent upon what the news tells me is going on in the world that I live. My joy is not contingent upon anything that I have to do. My joy is contingent upon my relationship with Jesus and with, with the Father. And so that means when life goes sideways, because it's going to, right? Like maybe you're even coming in here this morning, like did you see? You saw into my car on the way here. Or you, oh, you were sitting at my breakfast table this morning. You saw everything just explode. Right, that's life. And it happens. But what our relationship with God tells us is, is that in the midst of those things, we can still have joy. The exhilaration of the heart that comes from being right with God is why James says in, in his first chapter of his letter, to consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. Not because James thinks trials are fun, like he's not some weird guy, but because he knows that even though we're going through trials, we can still have an exhilarated heart because of our relationship with God. It's because of that that you can go into tomorrow knowing that Monday morning is going to be Monday morning, and it might be a little different because I think you're headed into spring break, right? So that's, that's a good thing. But maybe you know you've got just this crucial meeting this week or tomorrow. Or you've got to have that, that conversation with someone. Or you're coming out of a hard week last week and you're just anticipating it continuing on into next week. Guess what, church? Because of who God is, you can have a restored joy in your living. And finally, guys, Jesus has come to restore our hope. That day in the Garden of Eden when, when Adam and Eve were convinced to go against God's command and the authority structure that he had set up, it would appear that all hope was lost. And if you read the rest of the Old Testaments, you'd probably go, yep. Hope is, is gone. It's like God tries, but his people just continue to buck against him, to push against him. But there's two words in your Bible, and mine too, that remind us that just because that's how things were, that's not how they have to stay. Those two words are my favorite two words in all of Scripture, and they're but God. But God. And what that reminds us, it's like John said during communion, he did the work. 
And here's the thing about restoring things. Here's the thing about restoration projects. A restoration project is only going to be as good as the one performing the restoration. Right? That's why Chip and JoJo got the TV show, and I don't. That's why in our house, when we want something to look good and cool and nice and pretty, my wife takes care of it. Right? And I just hand her the, the tools, or I run to the store, and I get the things. That's why the Bible says, but God. It doesn't say, but Todd. It doesn't say, but John. It doesn't say, but, and insert your name. It's, but God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he says, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, check this out, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Paul says a similar thought in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see the beauty in those verses? What was the activity that you and I were performing in those verses? Nothing. We were dead. Paul tells us that this, this saving action that was given to our lives was done while we were dead. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't know much about medicine. But I do know this. A dead person can't do anything. Why the verses start with but God. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It is, it is God who is restoring us through the cross and the empty grave, which we're about to celebrate in a couple weeks. He restored us. He, is, he, he has and is bringing us back to our original condition. The way things were supposed to be. Because of Jesus, all hope is restored. So church, let me ask you this. Have you received that restoration? If you have, this morning should be, it should be an encouragement to you. It should maybe be like that, a, a shot of adrenaline for you to go into your week joyfully, filled with hope, with a desire to serve, and with a desire to go tell people the gospel. Maybe this morning you're sitting here and, and you're thinking, Todd, that, that kind of sounds like a pipe dream. Like, I don't, like, that sounds great. Maybe you're thinking you have no idea the restoration I need in my life. Well, I do a little bit. Because if you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you are where I was before I was entered into my relationship with Jesus. I was lost. I was without hope. I was without joy. I had no reason and no desire to serve. But Jesus offers that gift of restoration to you this morning. 
He offers it freely. He offers it abundantly. He's ready to pour that out upon you. And I would encourage you, if that's you, if you are in need of that restoration this morning, after the, the, the band comes up and, and plays a song in, in just a second, don't go that way. Come this way. Come talk to me. Come talk to, to Pastor John. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some other folks up here. Be restored. Let Jesus fix that which we have broken. Let's pray. Jesus, you knew, you knew that it left up to ourselves, we would mess up any semblance and any hope of restoration that there was. And so at just the right time, you came. You humbled yourself. You became one of us to die for us to give up your life willingly only to snatch it back, to hand Satan his lunch and tell him no thank you. All for me, all for us, so we could live restored, so we could live hopeful, so we could live joyfully, so we could live originally the way you have designed us to. Jesus, thank you for restoring us. In your name, amen.